they just run for like four seconds across the frame and they're like limping and it's like watching your granddad at, at the barbecue like line up a free kick where everyone's just like oh can we just can we just not like I've swapped the monitors because I actually need a bigger one than you. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. That, you can say you can put that on the poster. Oh, James, James needs a bigger one than, one than George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, thank you so much for bearing with us for today's upload. I know we're a little bit late. Not yes. late because of like I've just been late with travel and whatnot, but because because of holidays and schedules. Yes. We're actually recording this on a Wednesday this night. This is the earliest we could have seen each other. Literally, we've made it work. It's a, you've come back from Venice and Croatia. Yeah. We're here to recording today, the day the episode is meant to be out. So, so sorry, guys. As soon as I get to it, bear with me. And then you're off to Edinburgh tomorrow. That's right. Uh, you know, busy times. times. I mean, you and last month you were traveling a lot. I, I did. Re- yeah. And I know this and episode the will show be late. Still went on. Yeah. Can I just say we've still had a, over a year of uninterrupted service. Yes. I would say since about episode thirteen. Yeah, because technically we had like a month at the beginning of 2022, but who's counting that? But, but whatever. But yeah, we, yeah. every single week, we have something for you. Through Christmas, service. we went through, through Christmas, Christmas, Pop Kitchen Awards. So yes, last week was more of a look at, it was a pre-record kind of look ahead yeah. episode. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. And look, I'm glad. we're now going to catch up with all the films <laughs> we should someone did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I have not, I, James and I have not communicated that much. I took, no. a, I took a deliberate, I didn't think that people say they do. Yeah. They never do, but I did take a digital detox on That's that holiday. I, 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 took, I was in Heathrow Terminal and I deleted TikTok, Whoa. Instagram, and turned off mail notifications George, on we my got cancelled. I needed you. It was crisis. I didn't hear about it, so <laughs> yeah. it didn't happen. That's yeah. absolutely fine. And I felt good for it. And I do, and I got Instagram uh, back on my phone when mm. I flew back, partly because I needed to kill time in the airport terminal. So I was yeah. like, Okay, holiday, great pic- holiday pictures. And now it's on my phone again and I and I find myself looking myself. at it. And I've not I've missed nothing. That's what I realized. I missed nothing. Yeah. Except selfishly posting my own photos. It's so weird to think like, oh, I need to check what like everyone did no. today. All, no one all did you anything. need is the dopamine here of yeah. either seeing something exciting or someone liking something that you did. I um want to I think I told you this before. I want to normalize actually sending photos to people when you're away. Or when WhatsApp. you're doing something fun or exciting. Oh yeah, you asked me to send you yeah. a picture. Because I'm always, I'm always like, actually send me a photo. Because I think there's this assumption that I don't need to connect with this person. They'll just see my Instagram story or they'll oh, see yeah. my post, which never really feels like you've sent me you're anything. Right. I feel like you're just putting it out there and I can hopefully contribute. Not bespoke. Whereas if I'm like, oh my God, like I'm at this really beautiful place with yeah. a person I love, just sending you love from insert location yeah. it's like oh george and anna are thinking about that's me right, like yeah. that's i'm so happy for them they're in that beautiful place they look mm. beautiful uh, it's, uh, it's kind of like you know when you would send a photo or a postcard yeah i, th- I think you're absolutely right and every i'm thinking now of all the t- of the people i did send photos to yourself mm. a couple of other friends they were always meaningful and funny yeah and like like with with intent instead yeah. of just banter yeah banter exactly yeah. you're right that's a good point. Um, people, I don't even do it that much, but I'd like to do it more. You should encourage people. That's what I, I will. You I'm know always what? like, send me a photo, and I don't mean like, like particularly if I'm, if I was messaging that. you about something very briefly. Yeah. I think I'll oh, just send James a picture of where I actually am right now, which yeah. is having a cappuccino. Yeah, in and, I, and I called you very briefly about like a pop kitchen thing, and it's like 
I didn't want to waste your time. I was like five minutes. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to ask you about your holiday because I don't want you to get back to your holiday. Yeah. I'm just going to quickly ask you stuff yeah. and then I'll, I will Very see conscious. you. You will see I'm me. Like, I will see <laughs> yeah. this man. Because the show <laughs> must go, go on. Um, <laughs> just a quick note about Venice, which We're okay. is, is, is a thing that... Uh, is a place that obviously that many people have already been to. I'm late mm. to it. It's first time going. You've been several times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, So, thumbs up. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. What a great place. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, we'll, we'll be reviewing and a bonus episode this week. Uh, Venice. No, no. no yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, James, the thing about Venice is, is so, it doesn't pull its punches. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's a sequel to Rome. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, no, it's, it's, by, it's a standalone <laughs> franchise. It's actually water-based. Um, yeah. No, uh, it's we're going to be reviewing Asteroid City yes. in a bonus episode coming out later this week. But... Venice is one of those places that's like, oh, if you had a city designed by Wes Anderson, it would oh, probably love be, it. be Venice. Um, it's amazing when, what I loved about Venice is like, you realize how better cities are when there are no cars <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and there Honks. are no roads. Yeah. Venice is a pedestrianized city yes. with boats. It's, it's lovely. It's great. So there's, there's, no, there's no noise. There's no noise pollution. There's no air pollution. And people can drink without the risk of hurting themselves or other people by drink driving. I have a theory that if you pedestrianise little parts of You can of drink London, boat drive, I understand that, sorry, but it's <laughs> yeah. also very hard to drink in gondola, so. <laughs> yeah. I think if you only pedestrianise a part of a city, it's annoying because the car can't cut through. Yeah. But if you just pedestrianise all of the city- Out of necessity. No one- Also- We just cycle and scoot. No e-scooters. No, no, no that's the other great thing about Venice. <laughs> yeah, no, no e-scooters, no, no cyclists, because you can't. You yeah, just yeah. cannot There's do it. No, no like delivery. Steps up the bridge, yeah. No, it wouldn't work. It's, so, it's wonderful for that. And uh, in many ways, Venice is like, sorry, I realize how I sound, yeah. which is guy comes back from holiday and he's like, guys- oh, you've got to go. No, no. Oh. I, 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 I know. <laughs> oh. Have you seen the Jim Carrey? Yeah, yeah, the rich person laugh. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like a Jim no, Carrey I don't, talking about what it's no, like. It's more that like, I'm just thinking about these things. I'm also working in architecture. So I'm thinking about a new mm. city planning and how that works. But I'm like, Venice as a city is the complete opposite of New York. Mm-hmm. as an example. But in many ways, they are very similar, which and they are so completely distinct and unique and l- r- obey their own logic. You mm. know, like in the sense that like, oh, when you go to Venice, you have to play by Venice's rules. You can't get a car places. You, yeah, yeah. you have to get you a boat or walk. Venice, yeah. you, have to, you have to obey Venice. You have to succumb and surrender mm. to Venice. And the same with, with New York. It's like, it's the grid system. You've, mm. got to, you've got to walk 10 blocks, you get a cab, you get a subway. You like, know what the, also doesn't work in Venice? Like traditional just Google Maps. Because some no of the alleyways, way, yeah. I was like Dom Cobb at Inception. Yeah, like, yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. Myself but, like, I was like, this is not going to work. That's the best part of it as well. Yeah. Because it's like technology, it's like Venice saying, you do not need technology here. Mm. I don't know what accent, yeah. some generic <laughs> foreign person <laughs> yeah. in a movie, in an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. It's like, you do not need Google Maps here. Yeah. You will, Venice will find you. Find you will find Venice. You, you were like James Bond at the end of Casino Royale, like resigned from MI6 on a boat closing the laptop mm. and then Vesper Lind like you know Vesper Lind isn't it Vesper Lind 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 not Lynn <laughs> yeah Lynn <laughs> Lynn might be a Vesper <laughs> anyway I'm back Venice is great go check it out uh, Croatia also lovely enough about my holiday because who wants to sit and listen mm. to some guy go oh the oh! sunshine would you believe oh! and you know they have the euro there isn't it spectacular <laughs> uh, what an exercise well, we have films though you've we been do. busy thankfully manning the film watching duties while I've been away so we've got what have we got this week James so we're going to be talking about No Hard Feelings the Jennifer the Lawrence Jennifer Lawrence comedy. comedy so I thought um, oh. <laughs> and there we got Indy 5 Yes. Dial of Destiny. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yep. Uh, so it's 2023. The original came out in 1981. I believe you. 
Wow. And then on the bonus content this week, guys, doesn't stop there. We're going to be talking about Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Mm-hmm. I know we're a bit late for this because of reasons of holidays, but yeah, please go and check out that. And also my first impressions of the first two episodes of Secret Invasion. They'll be spoiler free, yes. but like you can probably just... So, guys, the, bon- the show goes on. I realised, looking at the weeks ahead, July is busy. Yeah. We got Oppenheimer, we got busy. Barbie, we got Mission Impossible and others, Elemental. And I was like, if I don't see these films this week because of schedules, the rest of the month, your holiday, my holiday, that would be it. Dumb. And I can't let you guys down. On with the show. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. I want to say a quick thank you to the people who said hello to me at Glastonbury. It was oh, both... Yeah really sweet and slightly scary because I was like oh god yeah that thing I do is a thing I like that someone thought you you thought called you George yes I like so that. I literally I'm always in people's up, hearts yeah I set up my tent and, and John very kindly wrote an email to us uh, I literally got out and I was like 10 minutes into the festival and someone walked past me and I thought spoke through me and mm. said oh hi George and I like and he, but he, they remained eye contact so I sort of looked behind me and then I realised oh like mm. and he's like hi George again is he talking to me, me? <laughs> I was like, oh, hi. I was like, do you mean James? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I listened to the show. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, and yeah, he's like, oh, I wrote in on like episode 30 something. Wow. Really big fan. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then my mate was well, like rolling his eyes. We'll get to your email later, John. We will. For writing in about that. Um, uh, uh, by the way, Glastonbury, in, in, briefly, could you just summarize? Great. George. You know, it's the center of the yeah. universe. <laughs> you know, George, you know, think about- it's a city. <laughs> It's used to come to Glastonbury. Just the it's best been like, have you been to Venice? It's been like Venice, but it's Glastonbury. There. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So James, Jennifer Lawrence, who's one of the biggest movie stars of the past 10 years, yeah. who has made fewer films in the past few years, has returned yeah. leading a film. Mm, producing it too. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, an R-rated. R-rated? 15. Yes, R-rated. Yeah. Raunchy sex comedy um, called No Hard Feelings. Look, when we talked about this before, the funny thing is Jennifer Lawrence is in- inherently very funny. Mm. You know, anyone who watches her in- being interviewed, she's very naturally funny. When was the last time she was in a out and out broad studio comedy leading it? I don't think she has ever done it. So mm. you've gone to see it. What's the gist? I think looking at this film and looking at the poster of it, the main comment is where have these f- films been totally. for such a long time? And it's sort of been this interesting question of like, is Jennifer Lawrence, like we've acknowledged that it's like not a, uh, not a, a sidestep but sort of a different step for her to take for her career yeah. and it brings up that conversation of well where have these films been why aren't they mm-hmm. happening is it because we don't get the right kind of talent because they're, they're risky right yeah. because we don't get the Not, right kind of talent attached for them because they're non-IP they're non, non, non-sequel bait non-franchise non-IP, just... yeah. and I think you know we, we've covered this like many times in the show and there might be this factor of well these are risky so why don't we put them out on a streaming service where we don't mm. need to buy cinema screens? Mm. And if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think there's almost been this argument, well, if the film does not have enough 
uh, risk going into it and if it can just be quietly released on a streaming service no, and the hope it to go maybe no one will watch it and maybe there isn't th- this much of a we actually need to make this film work in cinemas mm. for it to justify the box safe. office release like, yeah. is, is there a bit of this like catch 22 of one basically one release thing basically ruining the other to, to create to be a good creator you need to always have the risk of failure yes. living over you yeah. yes like this, the stress of uh, the diamonds are forged under pressure right and so I think I went into this and I was genuinely I think rooting for it in a lot of ways. I like Jennifer Lawrence. I yes. think she has a lot of potential to be very likable and very funny. The concept, quite ridiculous, which you kind of know about it, don't you? Remind us. No Hard Feelings is all about uh, a character played by Jennifer Lawrence who is 32 and lives in a seaside summer uh, town called Montauk. I'm not really familiar yes, with it. in Northern California. I believe those... that's sort of like uh, Big Little Lies kind of area. Yeah, isn't very it? beautiful. Lots of these like sailing boats come in and during the summer months, all these rich white families flock to their summer homes. The yeah. whole town gets completely rammed. Lots of people who live there can make loads of money from renting their flats, from being Uber drivers, um, but it's a bit of like a nowhere space. There's not really that much going there. And you've got at the center of it, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character who is ever so slightly lost. She actually inherited this house in Montauk, which her mother left her, which she refuses to sell. She really doesn't want to sell it, despite getting like potentially very big mm. offers from wealthy people. She doesn't want to lose that sense of place and where she's, where she's from. And she's an Uber driver who gets her car towed, taken away because of uh, bad driving and a fine. So she's in this problem where she's got this house which she now has to pay a huge tax bill on. She doesn't have any money. Mm. So she goes on Craigslist which imagine like Facebook Marketplace for people in the UK and sees this ad from this very rich white family who is saying, um, we are looking for someone to date our son and bring him out of his bring him out of his shell, and you know it's just like littered with all these other weird ads, weird ads on Craigslist, willing to pay you a car, right? And so she's like, surely I can't do this. What do they mean, like actually date the son? So she goes to meet them, and the father's played by Matthew Broderick, and he's like, look, you know, when I was my son's age, I was really awkward, but in the summer before I went to college, I dated this girl, and she was confident and cool, and she really brought me out of my shell. And the whole kind of central joke of it is like, so you want me to date your son, right? And they're like, yeah. Would you want me to date him? Or would you want me to like date him? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, we want you to date him. And so it's sort of like, you know, this... In, in, in all loads of other films, it's a really weird premise of essentially yeah. like hiring a sex worker. If to, you just flip <laughs> the gender out, it's really creepy. <laughs> it's really weird. So like she's 32, he's 18. And that's the sort of like central idea. And you've got this- oh, By the way, no creepier than Licorice Pizza. Yeah, but I think this film is a lot creepier than Licorice Pizza. Oh, really? It's like, especially towards the end. Yeah. Oh, okay, we're going to I'll get into it. And basically, like, you've got this central comedy of Jennifer Lawrence is a gorgeous Hollywood actress who's, like, relatable and cool. Like, every guy, every young guy's dream girlfriend. There's this comedy of errors of she is desperately trying to get him to sleep with her, but he is so awkward and so mm. clueless. He just, it, like, she's finding it impossible to have this guy sleep with her. And that, when I saw the poster and the, 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 the photography style, yeah. and like pretty and awkward, yeah. like no hard feelings, like hard erection, yeah. or anything <laughs> you, you can read it. Yes. I'm thinking raunchy sex comedy. Yeah. And this film tonally completely unravels to something so different. I think what they set out to do was go, let's pitch a raunchy sex comedy inspired by American by anything that would have come before it. But let's also tell this deep story about growing up and coming out of your parents' shell and what it means to oh. be like be where you're from. And the last really kind of stopped. And then sort of in the second half of the film, I'm like, what is this film 
do it. Ah. Totally. Where are we? It's not being funny anymore. I'm not emotionally engaged for any of this. Like I, I actually came here for a laugh. Yeah. And the most, the, the way it could make me laugh the most was like, what if all the characters were naked and it was slapstick and people were falling over? And I was really sad because that's all it really had to offer. Oh no. And I'd say you abandoned the the comedy premise. Like this is the first moment she 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 goes up in this sexy dress to the pet shop that he works at. And she's like, hey, like I want to yeah. buy a wiener. And it's like, I get like, you've got so much potential for comedy yeah. there. And it just, dies after that unfortunately Ooh. and i think jennifer lawrence's character is really likable and i like following her yeah. i really didn't care about this long winded sense of connection to the place it's like it's a comedy yeah but actually it's, it's like drama. it's really deep and it's a drama it's about people oh. and so unfortunately the result is really tonally warped and off mm. and it was just not nearly enough laughs to sustain it it's a shame i would love to have told you george <sighs> yeah Oh, it's a shame because I was interested, intrigued. I'm really, I, was, I, I honestly really oh, I hate it. it when a film just, becomes something else. It just like, wasn't, it really didn't try, it really didn't buy enough comedy tickets to the raffle. Mm. I understand some of these things could be hit and miss. You really cut with it. I think when you have a very genre specific film, horror, yeah. comedy, it's really very, you, it's not wise to abandon it and try for something else in, yeah. in the second act or th third act rather, because you expect a service you've got him for a service with horror you expect to be scared all the way through you don't expect it to sort of change it to Judd Apatow has gotten away with it at the expense of a very long comedy yes like in Funny People and Knocked Up you go mm. this is really funny but also I actually am really invested in these yeah. characters they feel like real yeah. rounded do, people do you know Judd Apatow yeah the crime is his film's like two hours 40 yeah, yeah. but he, his his scenes are one serious, one funny, one serious, yeah. almost one funny throughout the entire films. Even in the third act, you're still getting funny bits. Yeah, the, but... the, fr the comedy's front loaded. Yeah, and it's sort of there. I really wasn't laughing that much. <sighs> I also will say, uh, sorry. And then the second half, it just veers off, and I'm like, you, you've lost sense of what this is. Right. I'm, I'm confused as to how I'm supposed to react to these scenes. Runtime? Oh, I think I want to say I'm not sure. A hundred minutes, maybe. Maybe. Let me check. Hour forty-three. Okay. So. And what I will also say is that I went to a screening at a multiplex and there were up to 30 people in the cinema, which I think that's, that's a factor. That's yeah. a, I'm here with an audience. Yeah. If, if the audience is laughing, that changes my laugh. There was not a single moment where I felt like we all laughed together yeah, you're in it. at you, the joke. You, yeah. And I don't think it, it, it clearly tells the audience like, here's where you laugh now. And then you input all of this uh, other, other stuff about you know, this thing about her mom and what her dad would have done. And I'm not saying I don't want depth in my comedy do films. It just felt really misaligned. Do you think you, you was, set it up? Do you think there was an element they were like, oh, but this is Jennifer Lawrence, who's an Oscar winning actress. Should we put a bit more drama in it? Yeah. And they were like, no, we can't have her just do silly comedy because it looks like she's selling out. It's this identity crisis that the whole film has. And then like the, the, the moves that the character makes at the end, you could see from a mile off. Look, if uh, I just paused the film after five minutes and I said, right. George, what do you think is going to happen yeah, to this yeah. character by the end after the, after the premise? You'd go, I reckon this will happen. And it's, it's, it's deep without being surprising. Do you know what it is? So, I mean, not to go on to a much bigger topic which is something I've been tipping over my head for a bit and I mentioned it in another episode which is like the difference between films and movies right mm, yes if, you just, you if I can try and do it in this, yeah. yeah but it's like no hard feelings that, that's a movie yeah it's a studio comedy this, and it sounds like they said yeah but let's try and be a film it's like no no you, yeah. you, you're a movie you know you're a movie and stick to, stick to the movie bit mm. and that's fine that's what we all came here for but don't try and be a film and you know that's a, diff that's a different thing 
Mm. You do, you've got to set that from the beginning if you want to. And, and the more it tries to be serious and tell a story, uh, the weirder you're very kind of a little bit creepy. The creepy concept, I'm like quite happy to yeah, spend yeah, my yeah, yeah. The more you try and like ground it and make the characters no, feel yeah. real, I'm like, well, this is just a weird thing altogether. You've got to almost do the opposite, make it more eccentric. Make it more, more eccentric, wild. make it more out there. Oh. So I, yeah, and I genuinely, maybe I had a bias. I was kind of rooting for it and I just, Never really, it never really uh, kicked into comedic gear. It's not biased to want to see a <laughs> film and want it to be want good. To like it. I, I'd love to be like George, the comedies, get them out on the big screen, get all the big actors, call Julia Roberts again. Like, like, no, I'm so sorry. It's just not quite <sighs> there. Okay. Well, if you guys have seen No Hard Feelings and you agree with James, 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 James? Hey, James. Hi, James. If you agree with James or disagree with James, let us know at uh, by emailing in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. That's a shame. And I think Jennifer Lawrence is good in it. She's and good I in everything. She's good in she everything. She never disappoints. And she's, she's not unlikable. She, I can see that she can be funny if given good material. Mm. But if the best thing we can think of is, what if that happened, but they were naked? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, like I'll give you one of those. Yeah. That's funny, like once in your movie. We, yeah. can't, just, we can't just keep doing right. that. That was No Hard Feelings. Indiana Jones, James. So there's a new Indiana Jones film, and I kind of I can't remember the last time I watched Indiana Jones film. Mm-hmm. I've you know they're from my childhood. I've, I always have the impression they're slightly bigger. Did you watch it in preparation for this? No, but uh, coming out of lockdown, all three, I all four. Watched, I watched the first three and yeah. showed the first three to Talia for the first time. Okay, and verdict? Uh, yeah, she loved them. She and did great. you still enjoy yes, them? Yes, I still really enjoyed them. I, 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 I feel like Temple of Doom's a little weaker. Oh, so I Temple of Doom is one of my favorites. Oh, really? Yeah, just, it just captures the imagination. It's completely okay. batshit in the best way. Okay, to me. I mean, I I haven't seen those films since I was younger, but I really enjoyed them. Mm. And like my dad will quote Raiders all the time. Yeah. He'll always just be like, start the engines. It's not mm. something, you know, unrelated. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, <laughs> You'll just be in the car and scream at you in the back. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, so when this new one was coming out, I was thinking, okay, here we go again. So fifth film, but another mm. belated sequel to a belated sequel. And a, a fourth film, which was not well received. No, to a franchise that began in the early 80s, nearly 40 years ago. But okay, mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick, that was a long time, time sequel as well. Mm-hmm. Like, And I've seen the poster on the bus and I'm thinking, what, how do we feel about this? I've, mm. I've said before that the idea of Indiana Jones 5. What does it mean in 2023? I feel like, like it's a 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that would have been a joke in Seinfeld that mm. Harrison Ford in his 80s is still playing. Yeah. And, and in a way, it's kind of synonymous <laughs> with the death of cinema. <laughs> that they're like, we couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> so let's wheel out Harrison like Ford. Weekend at Bernie's yeah. Harrison Ford. <laughs> Get him to Just crack the whip again, literally. So James... But we do have a new film, mm. The Dial of Destiny, Indiana Jones, 2023. What is it like? like? From the sounds of it, Indiana Jones occupies a lot of a warmer place in my heart than it does for you. Like, mm. I absolutely... No, hard, no, 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 no I'm not saying you don't, but like, I, I've w- watched you're them closer, over and over you're closer. Yes, yeah. really, really. I actually, do... sorry, I had the box set the first three and I also had a couple of episodes of the young Indiana Jones. Yes, yeah, I, I was with those. River Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, I watched some of those. Yeah, they were pretty good. So I remember always really loving them as a kid. They were... And, and you're thinking about this, this question of Indiana Jones in the 2020s. What does that mean? Why are we doing it? Why yeah. are we here? What does it have to offer? And so much of Hollywood and our comic book films and basically all the IPs now are monetizing nostalgia. And yeah. I think, oh my God, Indiana Jones, I have so much nostalgia for it. But actually it's something I've realized 
growing up and maturing my opinion in films that yes I have a lot of nostalgia for Indiana Jones but when you look into it these films are baked in with nostalgia in mind they yeah. are inherently nostalgic yeah. pieces of art they are love letters to 30 serials and yeah. the, the action adventure romps from 50 yeah. years before the Indiana Jones films are made so you know Spielberg was really sort of and George Lucas who's co-writing them were very much had that in mind mm. so they have predictably aged over mm. the decades as they should and that's not to discredit what i think the indiana jones films have done and what i think harrison ford does and how sort of tight and great those films are and i think if you're, you're saying you prefer what i'm talking about the original trilogy if you prefer one more than the other i think it's kind of like mm. the original Star Wars trilogy you're sort of splitting hairs yeah. but all in all we love them as a whole and then you know there's no hiding from the fact that harrison ford is in his 80s doing this film and, and we like Harrison Ford. I love Harrison Ford. Yeah. And he's an incredibly talented actor. He has been brought back for many of his franchises in Star Wars many times. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Am um, I missing something? I think, though, I think you Is got that it. it? Like, a big, a big three. Like, yeah. they've, they've brought him back. And I think he's, I think one of my His favorite, three big roles. I think, like, in The Force Awakens, the scene where he's like, the Jedi, the Bounce mm. Force, all of it. It's true. That's one of my favorite scenes mm. in Star Wars. Like, it's absolutely fantastic. And so we have this movie where... It's the fifth one. We've got Phoebe Waller-Bridge in there as well, uh, coming in as well. Sort of rightly bring that sort of like young, plucky enthusiasm. And she is sort of swashbuckling mm. the original buckle that swashed. No buckles were swashed until You would literally have buckles yeah. Yeah. that would swash around. So here's, here's, here's how the film starts. We, we start with an elongated sequence set in 1945 with a de-aged Harrison mm. Ford as Indiana Jones. It is the end of the Second World War. The Nazis are scrambling as to both sort of like get rid of the evidence, but also frantically find the last remaining relics which could potentially have a secret mm. to turn the face of the war. As we all Some know, sort of like, supernatural especially power, yeah. in, in fiction, yeah. Hitler was obsessed with the supernatural and yeah. finding a magic power that would turn the tide of the war. And right at the very end, the war is over. We have Indiana Jones basically breaking into this complex. Nazis are all leaving, but there is this one... Uh, piece half of a of a dial of destiny that remains and it's said to be the uh tool that was used by archimedes mm -hmm. to uh move through time use maths to calculate indiana jones mcguffin stuff and he uh on his adventure meets mads mickelson who at the time is like a scientist archaeologist working mm -hmm. for the germans and also toby jones who is an oxford professor who is also obsessed with the history of this thing and is sort of like his indiana jones at the time uh Buddy, we've got de-aging software and it's one of those things where it's so good, but it's almost there. Uh -huh. It's like in a still image, it looks great. And I think it reminds me of, do you remember the Peter Jackson Tintin films? Yes, never saw it. Tintin film, singular. Didn't make yeah, to, to Tintin film and it was like a really technically sharp and detailed CG, mm. but obviously like it did have the sense of Uncanny Valley and mm. this like sort of plasticine feel to it. I think Harrison Ford looks great. I do think these de-aging things immediately rip me out of the film. They're uh, inherently quite immersion-breaking. And I think, it, it, in so many ways, I'm thinking, this looks really good, but I feel like if I rubbed, rubbed my hand across Harrison Ford's face, like wet paint, it would sort of smudge. Uh, so it's fine. Let's just say, because I love it. I do love it. When it's done, when it's done properly. Samuel I, L. Jackson in uh, Captain Marvel takes the lead for me. Uh, no, uh, no, because he... Sorry, the, the, 
sorry, to tangent here, yeah. the longer you do it for, the more you break the illusion. And there are bits in Captain Marvel where, he's yes, he's work. got a great wig on, but he also <laughs> runs like he's 69. They all run like they're yeah, 69. Right, exactly. But um, I actually think the, even uh, Ant-Man, the early Ant-Man with Michael Douglas in the prologue. That's yeah, that was good. So I agree. I'll give you that. Young that, um, and young Kurt Russell, Guardians... Two at the beginning. Yeah, it's getting there. Uh, yeah. I mean, I with the Beauty Guardians two, I remember seeing Kurt Russell and thinking it's like he just walked off the set of the thing. I, I think it's it's pretty good, but I, but I, I do when it's done right and done in yeah tiny little amounts. It's it's, it's good. maybe it's a me thing because I'm like oh it's de aging oh god and it's like the first shot of Harrison Ford is him like being ca- he's sort of been like captive and he's yeah. ca- he's got a bag over his head oh, and sure. then it's like. Phew, Reveal Indiana Jones from the childhood. Young, Remember, yeah. but he's young. It's Harrison uh, okay. Ford. Fair enough, fair enough. Fair and enough. he talks because it's Harrison Ford, but just yeah. like a lot of makeup. Anyway, uh, you got this elongated uh, chase sequence through a train. You know, we cut to the end, and it's like, oh god, that was that is like it's like Indiana Jones. Cut to 1969. Indiana Jones is still a jobbing professor of archaeology, but we have just landed men on the moon. Everyone is looking up to the skies. No one gives a damn about dusty old relics and archaeology. Much yes. like Stinky Pete says in Toy Story 2. Do you not remember that? When he's like, but what happened? Sputnik. Everybody yeah. wanted to play with space toys. Yeah. It's, it's Woody's worst nightmare, yeah. basically, is what's happened. Um, that's exactly what's happened. Nobody cares about, uh, everyone. everyone's talking about space and the moon. But uh, who stumbles into uh, Indiana Jones's lecture hall with the only one who's able, he's asking them, anybody do the reading? And people on the bridge puts her hands up and she's done all the reading. And um, she is the daughter of Toby Jones, his former right. pal. And he's at, she's actually uh, her, her goddaughter, his goddaughter. So he has this sort of like, okay. he should have been more around for her, but never really was. And she is also like her father, obsessed with finding the Dial of Destiny. Mm. But there are also still the Germans who are no longer Nazis, but are kind of secretly Nazis. We've got Mads Mikkelsen now, 20 years in the future, still after this thing. And there we have our plot. It's an eccentric chase, globetrotting, running around from Tangiers to okay. all over the world. Directed by James Mangold this Directed time. Directed by James Mangold, who also did Logan. We've got the, I can't remember his name, the blonde guy who's also in Logan as the villain. Boyd Holbrook. He plays basically the same role in this yeah. film. <laughs> Just on James Mangold a second. Yeah. He is like, he's quite a safe pair of hands. Like Logan was good. Yeah. He's made films for years. He did like mm. Girl Interrupted back in the 90s. And you know, uh, Walk the Line. I think I remember we said when, um, it was like Indiana Jones, James Mangold. We went, yeah, okay, okay like, yeah. Could, could be fine. Um, <sighs> look. I, it's not a constructive thing to say, but Harrison Ford is just, he's hes so odd. I think he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. And I really think he should be doing city talky scenes with like Mark Rylance yeah. in a dusty old Cold War espionage thriller. I just, unfortunately, you know, you know what I realized is that they had to keep Indiana Jones in motion the entire film. So if he's not running on a train, he is on a horse, then he's on a bike, right. then he's on a horse again, then he's on a boat, then he's... They did not let the man, like, walk. Because <laughs> like, it would show he's old. He's, he's literally mobili- so limping and mobility scooted across this film. There's this scene with him and John Reese davies who plays, you know, back oh, from Raiders of Lost Ark, yeah. where they just run for, like, four seconds across the frame, and they're, like, limping. And it's like watching your granddad at, at the barbecue, like, line up a free kick where everyone's just like oh, can, we just, <laughs> can we just not like I, I really have so much respect for Harrison Ford and yeah you know of course what? he's so good in this yeah. but it, it's just that's not that's not what I need to see in the mm. Indiana Jones film like find a really great way to pass on 
the baton in the yeah. spirit of Indiana Jones. Or if you want to make an Indiana Jones film, I think you don't. And you go, let's make something in the spirit of it. Let's make a better Uncharted film. Like, yes, like, like what, what genuinely what Uncharted is in the games, like you go and you take that spirit of it and you, and you give yeah. it something else. Um, the, the last act is really icky and messy. Icky. And I yeah. hated it. How uh, so? It doesn't feel like Indiana Jones. It's everything that uh, never really works for me in terms of you take a real sort of adventure archaeology film. I think you should always dip your toe in the supernatural yeah. and not jump in it. Oh, yeah. And I could see where it was going. And I just thought, I really don't like the look of, look of this, both from just thematically for Indiana Jones, how it didn't really have any relevance for what I thought the character should have an endpoint. Yeah, I'd really like yeah. it, it provided a good platform to, uh, to finish off a character like Indiana Jones's arc. And I just left the feed. Like, I was kind of fine with... But there was nothing about it I found particularly offensive. Yeah. But that last act left a really bad taste in my mouth where I just thought, <laughs> God, I didn't like that. So, okay, just to understand what you're saying there. So it's kind of... Um, it never really kicks into gear because inherently it's got the problem at its heart, which is you have an 80-year-old man who we love, I love but him. should be doing a different thing. We should not have built an entire... James Bond film around yeah. an 82 year old. There's a reason James Bond. He like, does so... not walk more than five yards. Yeah, because they, he, can... he, every option. It's oh, now in a tuk tuk, and now in this. Yeah. Now we scuba dive because you, you're weightless. Yeah, in the water. There's that scene of, of oh, in the trailer, but very briefly, where he's on the back of the horse and there's like a giant parade. Yeah, like, and that's like one of the yeah, things. But I saw that and I was like, that looks a bit dodgy. Yeah, that's a stuff man with his face. Because they want to have a chase scene. Yeah. They want to have motion. They need to have movement. <laughs> We can't, we can't get, we can't oh. get to it. And I feel so, I don't want to be rude to the guy because I don't want to be disrespectful. No, but, but I it is, I do just feel like you, you've, you've, um, mobility scooted him through, through this runtime. Oh God. And I just don't feel you like put him on one of those airport things, you know, where they could get people to their gates quickly. quickly <laughs> Literally. Enough. It's like, can we just let the poor man oh. have, a, have a sit down? And then, and then you end with that. Like, there's nothing that offensive about it. I don't really mind Phoebe Waller, Waller Bridges character at all, but there's nothing. I think Phoebe Waller Bridges style and whether it's her writing or her acting, I feel like she really thrives in a modern satirical environment i'm not sure she's and i could be proved wrong but i don't like yeah. see her in the fa like high fantasy genre it's funny because you know we had that question recently from someone who was like oh when you know that people look like they've seen an iphone they shouldn't be in his period yeah. pieces which i don't really believe in but i do understand if someone stylistically it's like when like i said it's in the pizza I, express yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah it's when i said it like if you saw matt leblanc in the hateful eight it wouldn't work but like yeah yeah, yeah you expect phoebe waller bridge to be at a costa and that might be because I've only seen Phoebe Waller-Bridge like mostly in the Fleabag yeah. uh, format, which obviously she wrote and it's very much of Very her. modern. And ve really yeah. modern. I think she really has like, you know, changed the game in terms of how we write for mm. that kind of voice. I, uh, I, don't, I don't dislike her, but I'm like, I would, I would rather see you do loads of different things. I think you have more to offer in a different kind of space. So it's... Oh, a bit, bit muted then, a bit limp. It's I bit... think I think it's a little bit. I, I, but it's I'd go as far as to say it's bad. I really would. Uh. If someone asked me, I'd be like, it's not great. It's bad. The ending, I think, just kind of like so. The last action scene, I just I'm watching it like, please <laughs> just <laughs> granddad, sit down. <laughs> Don't do it. You're gonna throw your back out. Uh, it's oh, like you know, okay. uh, and this isn't a spoiler, but I got to the point towards the end where I was I was so detached from the character. I was like. I don't know, are they going to kill him? Are they going to not? At this point, you've not given me enough for me to actually care right. about Indiana Jones. And I think that's that's a little bit sad. That so sad. that's how I felt about it. I think the reviews have been pretty harsh. Yes, mixed at best. And I really did try to go, I love Indiana Jones. I want to try and enjoy this for the for the fun, fun fair ride that it is. Runtime? 
Two and a half say. hours, I bet. It looks like a two I and a half hours. So. Again, because it's got, on the on the on the face of it, it's got so many good ingredients. Two twenty two, two twenty two. Toby Jones, Antonio Banderas, Tony, Tony Jones as, as Toby always. Jones. Sorry, Toby Jones, Tony, Tony Banderas Jones. Uh, Toby Jones is really good in it. Yeah, he does that. He's like, good most uh, Like a slightly twitchy professor mm. with obsession and details and maps and scrolls. Mm. Antonio Banderas is in it, but could have not been Antonio Banderas. Yes, yeah. I love Antonio Banderas. But... He walked on set and said, "What are you filming today? <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will be in it. Yeah, I, I can do it wrong. I can do it wrong. I can be this." Boots <laughs> in boots. Yeah. Like, okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but it could have been. You could have put anyone there. So disappoint. A disappointing shame that is not what the film we really wanted. And that's the thing. I'm like, okay, so you've made this film. What do you have to say to bring? Well, yeah, why are we bringing it, it? If you're bringing it out of the dirt again, dusting it off, what, what for? What purpose? It makes me feel so cynical that we're just here to make money. We're yeah. just here to go. Oh, that's a guaranteed good time. And you know what? I I don't think that someone may, like. It's not that I'm so old and I'm jaded. I don't think a kid who's ten years old would actually have a better time with it than I would. Mm. I really don't. Well, there you go. And I think that's uh, quite sad. If you've seen Indiana Jones: The Dial of Destiny and you'd like to let us know your thoughts, please email them into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We'd love to know if you disagree with James. If you agree, if you have any thoughts, did we miss anything in our mm. review? We're really intrigued. Did this hit the mark with you? It'd be interesting to know if both other people feel the same way. Have the critics got it wrong? Let us know. I don't. I don't film. want to lose that genre either. I don't yeah. want that to be like, oh well, this sort of uh, blowing off the dust off the uh, the puzzle in the, yeah. in the ancient puzzle room, and we get to the next bit by pulling the lever. I love that. Yeah. I don't want it to die, and I don't want to ask anyone to look it's at quite that analog. film. Very analog. I don't want anyone to look at that film and go, oh, but people just don't like those films anymore. And it's like, no man. Well, yeah, because we made Dial of Destiny didn't do so well. Yeah. It's not it, um, box office wise. It's not done great. No. Um, in the US. It's been a tough couple of weeks for the box office, I think. There's been quite a few films that have not uh, hit the mark. Flash. The last one that did was Across uh, Across Across Spider-Verse Spider-Verse did well, very well. But after that, I think Flash suffered because it was the next superhero film yeah. that came out two weeks later and it was just played with I don't want Hollywood to just be like, I guess we make another Spider-Man universe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what if it wasn't animated? What if it was plasticine? Uh, okay, that's a shame. Sorry, I don't mean to be too negative about films, but you know, it is what it is. We hope for them to be good. I know. Just we, as we hope for our emails to be good. You which they always which are. They, all, which they genuinely always are. And if you wanted to send us an email of your impression of a film, your thoughts, your concerns, please do send them into hello at, at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. Pulp Just like. like <laughs> their name is R. <laughs> Like Monty Python and the Holy thing. Grail. Just like Cal did. Cal writes it. Hi, Cal. And says, hey, James and George. This is Cal writing in again. First off, I have to confess that I've been copying one of Pulp Kitchen's famed game ideas. That's it. I co-host I'm a calling ra- the lawyers. <laughs> a lawyer up. Uh, I co-host a radio show for my college, and one of my new favorite segments is song antonyms, right? Mm. Where the host gives the nice. opposite name of a song and the other guesses. A take off your movie antonym game. I hope there are no hard feelings because I stole from the podcast. But your guys' games are so creative and fun that I could not resist. Resist, Cal. Of course, it's absolutely fine. We originally, like when we first started yeah, doing them, inspired. like. It, Twisted a format for if something you, if, else. If you if you wouldn't mind just saying that you were inspired by oh, Pop Kitchen podcast, a that's okay. Reference to we, you know, but I also appreciate the cows out there getting the broadcasting skills out there, doing the radio on friend. the old ones and twos, doing the yeah. This is love it. Plugging in the different yeah yeah the analog yeah yeah. 
Cal goes on to say, I just finished listening to a great episode where you guys answered a question about cinema experiences that changed your overall, sorry, my thing went, that changed your overall outlook on films. This made me think about the first time I watched Fargo. I instantly loved mm-hmm. the thick accents, cold scenery, and most of all, the Coen brothers' ability to tell a quiet story. Mm-hmm. I felt for the first time that I was watching a real movie that valued storytelling over ticket sales. However, I recently watched it again and it did not hold up to my memory of it. Oh. I know the movie is meant to be dull, but I still struggle to remain engaged. Well, hang I don't think the movie's meant to be dull. I yeah, think it's, it's a dryness to it. Yes. Well, well, well put, James. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, things like Francis McDormand's late entry, brackets, 34-minute mark of a 95-minute film. And the, oh, it's 95 minutes. Wow. I like that. And it, well, I would have gone that for two hours. Yeah. Uh, and the almost stereotypical presentation and performances of certain characters, like the wife and father-in-law, bothered me way more than I thought they would. Mm. I'm not sure if this is because the film isn't that great or if I'm just wrong. So please let me know what you guys think. All the best. Keep up the good work. Cal. George Fargo. Well, I've only seen it once in a very long time ago. Same. I barely have a memory. I think I watched it actually when I was a kid. Um, but I have seen the TV series Fargo. I've watched Which the first... I've only heard great things about. Yeah, I've watched the first two seasons. They made, they've made they three. Say, I think they're, I, I swear they were bringing out a fourth with Chris really? Rock. And maybe maybe that's already come out. Maybe it's completely passed me by. Yeah. But like... Um, the, the 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 things with the TV show of Fargo is that a bit like that it was was very slow. Mm. Um, the first one was really great. It had Martin Freeman as yeah. you know doing his proper min, uh, Minnesota accent. Minnesota. Oh hey, oh no, no, no. Oh, and hey there. Billy Bob Thornton and Bob Odenkirk and uh, Adam Goldberg and Key and Peele as it's the first time I ever saw Key and Peele together as oh, FBI nice. agents. Oh cool. Um, and that was really great. And also sorry, you, we were talking some emailer last week said about like movie deaths, you know, the ways people have been dispatched. Yeah. There's a bit in the TV series of Fargo where they go looking for a guy um and they go to this bar and they don't find the guy they're looking for, but this big, heavy, bald, brutish guy, just like, they're just a lout at a bar, basically, yeah. like picks a fight. And so they're like, they like, knock him out and they take him out to this tundra lake in, a, you know, in Minnesota, midwinter. And they, they walk across the lake and this guy's like muttering to himself because he's been knocked out. He's like, and they, you know, when those big like circular saws that you drill through yeah. ice when people want to go fishing or whatever, yeah, yeah. they drill a hole in the ice, like which takes like minutes to actually get through the thickness oh of the ice God. to get to the water underneath. And they, and they pick the guy up by his legs and they hang him over the, the water. And he's like, and they just drop him in. <laughs> and, and then it, and then they just, it takes a long shot and it just shows them walking back to the car. And I was thinking, so that's so dark. Because you know what, like so a writer's thinking, like, I was going to recall yeah. I can kill a person in As, a cold who's environment. Who's not, Unconscious, he's yeah. semi-conscious, and he put it, but it, unable to Could save you himself. The shock of like being dumped into frozen lake water. I mean, it'd be done in a minute, wouldn't it? It'd be awful. Yeah, um, nice seconds. The second series of, of Fargo was was pretty good. That was uh, one that's like set in the seventies. Had Patrick Wilson and, yes, and yeah. Ted Danson, and it's like it gets really weird, but great, great soundtrack. Loved that. No. Basically, as far as the film goes, neither of me has seen it in but, a really long but time. But what I will say is. I want, what Cal doesn't mention in his email there mm. is what is the time between him watching it for the first time mm. and watching it for the yes. second time? Because we've talked about how we age with films and how films change with us. Like, time did you watch on. it when you, you know, a couple of years ago, Cal? Was it yeah. five years ago? I'd be interested to see. Well, college to age. So, yeah, it could have been. It could have been recent. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it sounds like you would have watched it a fair, fair time, but, time but ago. But I would actually love to give, especially now I know it's 93 minutes, I'd love to give Fargo yeah. a pop, I remember very much enjoying it when William I watched H. it. William H. Macy and Steve Buscemi. It's very yes, 90s. It William really H. Is. Macy, Steve Buscemi, and um, Peter Stormare. 
Steve Buscemi is someone that like you could put at the first uh, round of a caster's countdown. You could be like, that could be any yeah, film. Yeah, 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 it yeah, literally, yeah. Helps, literally it tells you nothing about it. All right, thank you, Cal. This next email is from Mia, who says, Hi, lads. Big fan of the pod. Also, big fan of the name. I was actually named after Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction, specifically nice. at the point where she says her name on stage in Jack Rabbit Slims in a very cool and sultry manner. I know exactly the bit she's talking about. It's when she's like, Miss Mia Wallace. Your parents. Uh, who's this? Vincent Vega. Your parents met at university where they walked into the dorm. And it's like, oh my God, do you like Pulp Fiction? Yeah. And the rest was history. Oh, they probably, parents probably were at university okay, when or whatever out, yeah. when the film came out. Anyway. Well, they saw it and they were like, I'm going to get the poster of this film. Yeah. <laughs> Mia goes on to say, I recently watched Black Mirror season six, episode two. Okay, so Mia goes on to write a paragraph about uh, season six, episode two of Black Mirror, which I have not seen and you have not seen. No. But I'm pretty sure just scanning over this, it it, it, it contains some spoilers. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to read it out. Basically, we would love to cover Black Mirror when we've seen it. Unfortunately, yes. we just- Because also Black Mirror is one of those things that you- if you reveal the ending, it's usually like, you know, a reveal, isn't it? So yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah. just skip over that paragraph, Mia, but to get to the second paragraph where Mia says, secondly, a big thank you, in capital letters, to the person who sent the email in about the show The Offer and mm. to George for covering it. If we remember, The Offer was the show about the making of uh, The Godfather, which is on Paramount+, Plus, Miles Teller, etc. I reviewed it at the beginning of the year. Uh, Mia says, I watched it after listening to the pod episode and I absolutely adored it and have subsequently recommended it to a load of my family and friends who are loving it too. What a great show. I agree with everything George said about it. Thank you. I'd give the acting another shout out as it is impeccable. Two actors in particular that stole the show for me were Matthew Good and Giovanni Ribisi, who I will now... who I will now stop referring to as Phoebe's brother in Friends. Um, uh, Matthew Good, I just, yeah, I love- Matthew is good. So Matthew is good, but yeah. Matthew Good in that show is just a delight. I would watch a whole spin-off with him as um, Bob Evans. I think so it's good. really hard. I think a show, a TV show being very good is not enough for it to be seen by enough people. Like there's so many, it's yeah. probably been true for a while, but like it's so many TV shows that are really great. Yeah. Are very easily being lost in the shuffle. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it, that's quite depressing, isn't it really? Yeah. Um, I found, it in particularly, I found it particularly interesting that they never reenacted any scenes from The Godfather. They just showed the reactions of those watching it, which I thought was a really clever move. It's quite well restrained. Yeah, they're making that, it yeah. clear this is a story you don't know. Absolutely brilliant. And I would love to see more like it. I'd love to know, James, have you watched it yet? I've not, but like I'm very much sold. It's just a time thing. And yeah. Uh, and George, have you finished it? I have finished it. I really liked it. My only thing with it, I would say, is just the longer it went on, the more I watched it, I became aware that I was like, this isn't strictly sticking to... Uh, it's not trying to be historically accurate as such. It was the, the, the more the episodes won, the more fast and loose it was playing. I think I've said, I think I might have said this in the review. It was don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Mm. If you accept that, you can have a great time with the offer. But it is really fun. It's, it's such a blast, that whole series. Uh, anyway, then Mia says, sorry for the long email. To relate to another quick question though, we all know a lot of TV shows that should have stopped before they did. But have you ever come across a mini series or a limited series that you think you could have done with more of? Sorry if this has been asked before. Keep up the good work. Mia from Ireland. Do you have one? Uh, I would say, uh, I, it's it's tough, but the one that came to my head was actually that show, Unorthodox. Did you watch Unorthodox? No. It was, on in, it was on during the pandemic, yeah. you know, on Netflix about the very, very orthodox uh, yes, Jewish the show. And then she left and she goes to Berlin and stuff. And like, that was like four episodes, I want to say. Mm. And they really rushed some stuff in it. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This whole world of 
of this community is so interesting. Mm. I really could have actually had it really explored more and all the relationships between all the characters with all the other people who have left the community and are trying to live differently. I, I, I really could have actually, I was like, this. you could have done eight episodes mm. and, and taking your time and really substantiated it instead of kind of running it along because half of that show, all the stuff that happens in Berlin is really kind of weird. As, as you said in your email, it's usually typical of this show has run its course, it's being dragged mm. out, I wish it would stop. I think like in terms of miniseries, there's treatments to certain things that I've gone that was done so well I'd love them to tackle something else like mm. the way that Chernobyl told its story oh, yeah. and I think really uh, brilliantly captured uh, authoritarianism in a communist regime mm. in Ukraine and how things were done and how things how like they could command certain things to yeah. happen from that perspective, I yeah. thought it was really interesting and, and they're quite underexplored. And also a Not kind a of cliche, the, like a Bond villain way. Either. Yeah, and also the but the culture of yes, um, culture non accountability. Yes, and don't just, say the wrong thing. We but, all thinking this, but you don't say. And it. also just the lack, like the, the it's some of the bits in that first episode where they're like, oh, I've noticed that there might be you know graphite on the, on the roof. Oh, I think the reactor is open. They go, well, go up on the roof and have a look then. And the guy knows that's the death sentence, yeah, basically. To so, look into, like, the eye. Uh, it's like, yeah, go to... Uh, uh, and the guy's like, oh, I, I won't do it. And then he makes a guard go with him. To, mm. Oh, it's terrible. Um, oh, so, oh, like, yeah, like, that treatment would be great. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and obviously, is there any series that you could have done more with? What am I going to say? Mindhunter on Netflix, yes. as ever. Thank you so much for that email, Mia. This next one is from Jonathan. He says, hi, James and George. Hope you're well, especially James, who I ran into at Glasgow ah, and accidentally okay. called George. I tried to be cool by doing a quick high and by in passing, but I failed miserably. Uh, Jonathan, it was lovely. You were not, not cool. I was just like a little bit like surprised, and, but yeah, it was great. It, always amazing. Never don't say hi is the main thing. Um, sticking on the music theme, more of that later. Uh, what are your favourite non biographical? Oh, is that, is that teased to me? Yeah. About a game we're going to yeah, play. Yeah, we're playing a musical oh, game. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, sticking on the music theme, what are your favourite non biographical music related films? Did you get that? Non biographical. So, music. not a biopic, so like almost famous or. The ones that come to mind are. Did you, sirens on our end. Sirens on our end. It's like an interrupted siren. It's yeah. like turned off. We found the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that come to mind are The Dewey Cox Story, Almost Famous, oh, yeah. This Is Spinal Tap, Juice, if that counts, Coda, Eight Mile, and my personal favourites, La La Land, All the Best, and Sirens on Our End, fittingly, hey! like, this is turns up. Uh, Jonathan, P.S., my controversial film opinion is that 2001 A Space Odyssey is not an all-time great. While it has some great set pieces, the characters are so boring you lose interest in the story. However, it might be prophetic in predicting the rise of our AI overlords sent in the middle of the Elton John set. Uh, what, sorry, that's his sign-off, is it? Sent, yeah. sent from the middle. Sent the middle of, of you said it could be the a our AI overlords who are sent, <laughs> sent in the middle of the Elton John set. I love that, the idea of in a massive crowd and hearing, many in the jets. Just got to send this and email off. in the back like, Right, on 2001, I've yeah. heard this before from people and it's like, it's fair enough. But the thing is, you can't, 2001 is a bit like that 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 bear story when you're a kid, which is like, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you have to go through yes. it. You have to see it. And I do agree that some parts are more uneven. It's a bit uneven, some parts are better than others. Mm. The whole house section is great. The monolith stuff's pretty good. The whole stuff with the apes at the beginning is a bit wacky, but like- And the eyes wide, vortex thing. Yeah. Yes, it goes on a bit long. Uh, yeah, My main question for a lot of people that- watch 2001 and uh, I, I i'm desperate to see it on a big screen is did you watch it on a laptop slash small tv ah, yeah and i really think for a film that came out as long ago as it did that is a film that i think does not 
uh, hold up no. on a small screen. No. I, I, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. And I saw it on a small screen and I thought I am getting a you, photocopy of a photocopy of the real thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, the Prince Charles Cinema in London like shows it all the time. And yeah. I, that's that's the last time I saw it was there. And I would yeah. love to have seen it in IMAX, which they did do for the wow. 50th anniversary, did which they, I missed. Did they shoot it on 65 mil? I don't know probably, what yeah. we did, but... but, but um, yeah, and so when I went to see it, uh, uh, it on the big screen of the Prince Charles five years ago, I did take my girlfriend. Yeah. Never see, and I was one of those things. Of like, look, I don't know if you're going to like this, but like, it is a thing to see. Mm. And and sure enough, especially in the first forty minutes with all the apes, she was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this?" Yeah. Um, but it's 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 really different. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It has to be seen on the big screen. Mm. It's just not. And it's great. such an un- unuseful thing, unconstructive thing to say to someone when they're giving an opinion on a film because I also haven't seen it on a big screen. Mm. But yeah, I do think something is lost from that. That's all. Oh, was there another question there? Sorry. Uh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, the actual question. Uh, what are your favourite non-biographical okay. music related films? Uh, you mentioned 8 Mile, but 8 Mile is on the verge of being biographical. Mm. You've, seen, you've seen 8 Mile? No. Oh, hey, that's great. Um, I would say I've only seen Almost Famous. Almost Famous was one of those films I saw when I just started to get a job when I was 16 and I spent what little money I had on mm. DVDs. Yes, I bought yeah. Almost Famous because it was in like a lot of best films of all time lists yeah. and, I, and I watched it and I was like, <laughs> you know, it's okay. And I've yeah. never, and I think, I think I probably get more out of it now mm. uh, as I'm older, but I, so I can't really include that. Um, Dewey Cox, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which yeah. I enjoyed at the time, but I, oh, actually, sorry. Dewey Cox, the, but Walk Hard, the Dewey that Cox one. story. Not only do I have only seen that once, but I did like it, but I also think I would enjoy it more now. But that contains probably my favorite cameo scene of all time. Not only, obviously you have things like Jack White turns up with, um, as Elvis, but the whole scene in India with the Beatles, with Paul Rudd as John Lennon, Jack Black as Paul McCartney, Justin Long as George that Harrison, amazing. and Jason Schwartzman as Ringo. <laughs> that whole, especially if you're a real be- deep Beatles fan like yeah. I am, that is so funny. And there's oh, a line that, that Paul Rudd says that I still, me and my friends still quote to each other, which is that they're, they're talking with Dewey Cox's band and they're like, um, you know, we're big, oh, and also like Jack Black's Liverpudlian accent is all over the place. He's like, we're big fans of your records too. We think Hard Day's Night is your is our guiltiest charge. And, and Paul Rudd as John Lennon just goes, great record, great record. And now me and my friends, if we hear music that we really like, we'll go, great record. Yeah. Great. I love it's it when so you're good. doing a person doing an impression, you're doing yeah. an impression of someone doing an impression. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like my, I'm not, I never do Michael Caine. I do Steve Coogan and sure, Bob Bryan sure. doing Michael Caine. Um, but, but that whole, and the, the outtakes, and the, the bits they didn't even use for that scene is so good. I've watched that so many times. But um, the other bit as well in the walk card, which I love is when it's like, they're doing the whole trope of like, when he just discovers drugs. And he walks in and he's like, smoke. He's like, oh, what's going on here? And they're smoking weed. And it's just yeah. like, we're smoking reefers. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to get addicted. It's not addictive. It's not habit forming. Okay. Well, 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 I don't want to get a hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. Okay. Well, I don't want it to affect my sex life. It makes sex even better, <laughs> but you don't want any part of this. It's like, well, you kind of made it sound like I want to be part of this. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I would probably say that. I, just, I can't remember even the other. La La Land, I, I almost don't count as a film about music. It's a, it's a film, it's a musical, isn't it? No, Although it it's about music, about jazz. <sighs> it's a white uh, guy, Whiplash. Jazz. There you go. Oh yeah, Whiplash, that's it. Straight Win. away. Straight, dumb, dumb. Next email is from Jared Block, who says, hello, James and George, or George and James. This is my second time writing into the show. I had written a few months ago. I was the one who had seen Babylon six times in theater. Yeah, uh, hats off to you again. Fair play. As said before by many others, 
I cannot get enough of Pulp Kitchen. That's really kind, Thank Jared. You. Thank you. I have cooked, driven, puzzled, and walked around with you guys for more hours than some friends of mine probably. Puzzled. Does, does that make us friends? <laughs> sure, Jared, it does. Where uh, is? Anyway, to my question. When I was a first year, I took an intro to film class. I, this sounds American. Again, I think sorry, you are I American. hope he's putting the final piece of his like thousand <laughs> puzzle. <laughs> just, his puzzle. Um, no. He just hears like, Jared writes the show. He goes, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> just goes everywhere. So anyway, to my question. When I was in first year, I took an intro to film class where each week we dissected nice. a different movie that taught us something about the new medium. Mm. I thought my professor had some very interesting choices. Some good in the mood for love, for framing, right. gravity for special effects. Yeah. And there's some questionable choices. Hail Caesar for screenplay, Paprika for animation. I've never heard of Paprika. But are you uh, watching them and acknowledging them for their flaws as well as their- You're just, you, well? no, you're using, you're watching this film specifically to see it as an exercise. So gravity, you're watching it to, ex to explore visual effects, right? Forget the specific genres, but if you were teaching an intro to film class, mm -hmm. what are a few essential films that you would include in the syllabus? For me, I would include Singing in the Rain, Barbarian, oh, 2001 yeah. A Space Odyssey, which we just talked about, and The Graduate. Keep up the great work, and thank you again for continuing to deliver funny, interesting, and thought-out reviews. There were about three episodes in a run... There were about three episodes in a row a month back that I had disagreed with several of your takes and I found myself still more hooked than ever because your nice. explanations and critiques are so intellectual, mature and informed. Jared, that's really kind. We, we so guys, we're, never, about, we're not going to agree on everything, yeah. um, but we do try, like, like today with James, with, with your takes on films. Even if you don't like a film, we try and justify it and we try and at least account for that. We, we know these films are made by lots of people and we just- Yeah, yeah. And we're not here to uh, just agree with everything and promote things. Yeah. We, it's, uh, so we it's can't about just saying the how truth. we feel. Yeah. Um, so sincerely, thank mm. you. I've been listening since around episode 20 and nice. I haven't stopped since. Always the best. Jared. Thank Jared, you, Jared, thank you for a very, very kind, lovely email. Now, Jared, I saw your email come in and as someone who did- a film degree myself. Mm. I had a similar experience and I wrote down some notes. Are you ready for these, James? Well, first of all, by the way, Singing in the Rain was on my film course. Uh, we studied it about, I think it was the, I think it was the use of sound or music or mm. something. So, Jared. Jared's definitely into the uh, the biopsy of film with Babylon. Mm. Like he's film mm. studies, film history, student, film history, history yeah. breaking out what, like, you mm. know, I, I like you, Jared. Yeah, you're, Jared, you're, I got, you're a thinking I got, man's You got good taste. Yeah. Kid, you go far. Yeah. So uh, when we did, uh, when we, we also similarly had a, uh, I think it was called like, uh, beginning introduction to film, similar to, yeah. to Jared's, right? For editing, we studied Requiem for a Dream, which I thought okay. was brilliant. Great I shout, mean, great, yeah. great show. Um, but I had a friend who did a, a module called The Cinematic City, which is something I'm interested in. That sounds mm -hmm. great. But they were really annoyed because one of the, um, they did different cities each week, so Tokyo and Paris, mm -hmm. et cetera. But for LA, the, they, they, the syllabus had chosen 500 days of summer. And we were talking about it and we were like, that's actually a really lazy choice because it's clear that they've just gone, he's an architect. He wants to be an architect, doesn't he? In 500 days of summer, put that in for LA. Yeah. But if you actually watch uh, 500 days of summer, he, the, he, does, he doesn't interact with his built environment at all. The mm. only interesting architectural detail in that is in the last scene when he goes and meets Artem. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, Artem. He's in the Bradbury building, which is a beautiful building, which by that point in 2009 has been restored and looks fantastic, but is the exact same building that the climax of Blade Runner 
is filmed in. And in Blade Runner, the, the original, they actually say, oh, it's, this is in the Bradbury building. So it's acknowledged as that. And that dilapidated Bradbury building that you see in, the, in, in Blade Runner is how it was in the 80s oh, when they filmed see, it. Right. So in the time it was then renovated and redone. That's the only interesting bit. And maybe the bit on the park bench where he like, doesn't he draw on her arm or something? Because like, oh, this is what you think I you should do. You know, well, yeah. nonsense, isn't yeah. it? The more we talk about that film, the more ridiculous it, <laughs> it is. It was such anyway, an indie darling. But I've, I've got some notes on if you and I, James, were yeah. to... Um, I've got some notes, James, if, the, if you and I were to mm. commission a course, some ones we could put forward. Yeah. So for pacing slash editing... I actually think Tar would be a really good example. Yeah. About how, because if the whole sort of parallel with being a conductor, order, yeah, and also no, how they shot. control time, yeah. Um, in terms of auteur theory, if we're looking at the role of the director, so you know auteur theory, right? No, go on. So auteur theory is this thing in film theory, which is like, it's about the, uh, the like the film director being like an author. The, the, the whole film project is something that comes, everything stems from the director and the director has the role of an author instead of, being part of a much bigger machine. So it, the ne- the word auteur comes obviously from like French history and it's what the French were trying to do with like Truffaut and Godard, but like, and, and it caught on in America because but before that you had directors who were much more like journeymen who would just come in, crack out hundred films a yeah. year on a studio, etc. But um, one thing that would be interesting if you're looking at directors and auteur theory, I think would be the Fablemans mm-hmm. from the point of view that you have a Spielberg film from an altar, yeah. about Spielberg mm. done in his style. Like if you had said to me that the Fablemans wasn't made by Spielberg, I would say, oh, that's a very Spielbergian film. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting to, uh, like, to have his style reflected back on his own well, biography. The, the films that come to mind are Spielberg films. Like I've said before, yeah. Jurassic Park is like a really great one well, to study like screenplay yes. and structure. Any, it's, it's very clearly aligned there and you can point yeah. at it and go, that's where that happens. You see how that was that. Any, any auteur the, the theory applies to any director who has a signature style. Yeah. So Hitchcock. Where's um, Anderson even? Wes Anderson. Yeah. It, it, probably the uh, Tarantino. The, those are the yeah. probably most distinctive auteurs. But there are other directors, James Mangold, yeah, uh, he, not David Fincher, David James Mangold. Even actually, some people have even said Ridley Scott, who does not actually have a signature style. Can you trace an auteur and a signature style through Ridley Scott's yeah, I films? Think, like there's something to be said about grainy history epic, like, large, mm. lots of extras. I guess I think you're just thinking about Gladiator, aren't you? No, <laughs> you? Napoleon, Last Jewel, even yet. though which, mm. yeah. Large. Okay. Anyway, and then uh, for. Uh, I did, I did a... Um, uh, sorry, separately, like, to that question, you could study someone who's, like, modern who does a lot of different things, like Matthew Vaughan, right? Right. He's covered, like, But X-Men, that still has style, yeah, still, still has style, style yeah. but, like, he, within lots of different ideas mm. comes Matthew Vaughan through that. Ryan Johnson, even. Would that be quite yeah. interesting? Yeah. Anyway, uh, in te- we also did a module at uh, Uni about adaptation, as you talked about before, adapting, you know, uh, something to, for, for screen. And I would actually say Little Women, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, yeah. would be a really interesting case for that. Because it's su- that's such a modern inflected film. Yeah. That feels so unperiod piece that I, that's the reason I love it. Yeah. Script, I mean, just off the top of my head and what we were talking about recently, the script for Sisu, we <laughs> yeah. said in terms of a minimal, concise. sparse, concise exercise is a really good, I think you could, you could have removed the dialogue and it still could have worked. It's I the think. kind of thing yeah. you can easily teach yes. in a class. Yeah. Like, do you see how they don't use dialogue here? And they tell yeah. it stage directions. Absolutely. And then sound, I think, I guess, off the top of my head, any David Lynch film, I'm thinking yeah. about how just, where it's not even music, it's just like, ominous tones you go into a room and it's just like everything a, just like a low hum like a dreaded air conditioning unit yeah Kubrick as well yeah he's a very big auteur for that um so Jared those are 
off the top of the head, some ideas for, for, for the, the Pulp Kitchen University. Guys, go to film school. Do it. Just like do economics or finance. Well, we had that email from someone who decided to change. do that. Um, but also plenty of time. Plenty of great shit. resources and books out there to read about. Yes. Uh, do you know what? I was, and podcasts. I, re- I read uh, on the holiday that I just went on. I spent a lot of my time reading. Yes, great I saw. Book. I saw. Well done you. Amazing. Not in a patronizing a- way. Just like no, it no. could be hard a- to find the, time. The, the <laughs> AFI uh, interviews with some of the great filmmakers of the past 50 years. And I read some great interviews, but the two most interesting ones were George Lucas and David Lynch. Mm. George Lucas, because I I didn't realize when I when I... I thought George Lucas was a kind of mild-mannered nerd yeah. who had managed, a bit like a Bill Gates. Fancy the sister. Who, who, who was just like, oh, I actually came up with this fantastical thing that I'd been writing on the side. Well, George are what really people right, don't yeah. understand. But what is... I didn't realise is that actually George Lucas, in this interview at least, comes across as being much more avant-garde and much more abstract. Yeah. And he only arrived at doing Star Wars by reining himself back in from his earlier stuff. And his first on THX 113A was like... He said he describes it as, as cubist. It's almost so abstract. Mm. And even American Graffiti, which is restrained a little bit, has so many ideas of being sort of devoid and 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 abs- and, and uh, separate from like a, a narrative film. He really didn't want to do narrative film. He was like interested in making documentaries. Yeah. But he, he talks about freeing your mind and freeing your mind from a prison. He had this accident, car accident when he was like 18. And it kind of changed the way he saw the world. And that's how he arrived at Star Wars. It wasn't yet, like this. While Star Wars in its bare bones yeah. is a hero's journey, save the princess with the magic Which he literally wizard. talks about this. He's like, it's, it's Joseph Campbell's think about hero's how journey. revolutionary and explorative and original all of that the world he, is, right? Yeah. The he, idea he, of the force. Yeah. And, yeah. But he said, I wanted Star Wars to be one of those films that you could watch with no sound. Because it's all about color, which you think Darkness, is crazy when you think like, about sound. Yeah, but that's but that's amazing. Really. Yeah, like, think about the, about the so amount visual. of uh, visual contrast in Star Wars between yeah. like Rebels and Empire, like structure and which freedom. And then and then the, and uh, sorry, just to like summarize, and in the David Lynch interview, what I found really interesting is that for a guy who makes films which are so dark and twisted and confusing, yeah. he comes across as really like emotive and spiritual, and really cares about feelings and and the beauty mm. of the world. And it's this weird, but contrast. yeah, like your art could be considered cold. At yeah, the same and cold time. And, yeah. and 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 uncomfortable. And he says, it's all, he said it's about the beauty of ideas. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, those were some of the things I read. Guys, thank you so much for sending your emails this week. As always, we love to hear them. Send them into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and we will do our best to read them out on the show. George, as always, Pop Kitchen ends with a game. I'm just like, oh, so out of Glastonbury, <laughs> just music. And I was, Elton, I was like musical history, George, being yeah, in the crowd, yeah. Elton John. And I cried with Lewis Did Capaldi. you actually, you actually went and watched Elton John? Did I watch no, Elton no, John? No, 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 I, oh, yeah. I, no, I, I need to catch up with it because I was in Venice, like yes, I said, Venice. but I, I have a lot to catch up on and I've heard the Elton set was If you incredible. allow me to be insufferable and indulge you, that was fucking incredible. Mm. Like... The, the hyperbole online truly does fit. Firstly, I've never been in a crowd of 120,000 people. It's mad. Very special. Uh, the great thing about Glastonbury, again, I'm sorry. Here we go. Every, all the artists are so happy to be there mm. and they tell you they're so happy to be there and that comes across in their performance. So like Fred again was like, I've, this is my favorite place on the, uh, on the planet as an artist. I've always dreamed of playing here. Yeah. Lewis Capaldi, bless him, yeah. not able to sing, struggle. But that whole connection between him and like trying to finish the song and us finishing it for yeah. him was like really special. And then you get to like the DJs who also really have yeah. to be there. And then Elton John, who it's, I'm sure it's just marketing, but he says, this is my last ever performance. And Elton John- In the UK. 
Yeah, yeah. He's saying there's always an asterisk. There's always an asterisk. He's had like three farewell tours. But anyway, he's saying like this is my last ever performance. I will never ever forget this. Mm. Thank you so much for being here. I mean, he says so. Much, Thanks so yeah. much for being. It means the world to me. And then he's playing these songs and he's doing obviously like all the greatest songs and the whole crowd knows him singing them. And then he's doing this like he does his last song was Rocket Man and he does this extended piano interlude and everyone's just like holy shit yeah. this is he is like doing this extended piano <laughs> farewell to his it, music yeah. career and um, everyone was very emotional but ev- I looked around at the end when the fireworks going off one in 20 people were wiping tears wow. away from their eyes there was a girl in her group who I turned around and she was literally copping her hands in her in her guy mate's chest just streaming with tears oh. I was like I just don't understand it wow. it was incredible anyway in the spirit of in music, the spirit of that I know I bloody hippie so insufferable um, music George music in films needle drop moments yeah. um, you know some directors wouldn't ever touch putting a licensed track in their film. But some directors have absolutely not just made their (laughs) films, but they've actually made the songs themselves blow up beyond their original context. So in the spirit of music, I want you to guess the film from the song that plays in it. Some of these songs were like commissioned specifically for the film. Some of them are songs in their own right that if I say them, you'll go, that belongs to that film. You're a guy who likes his music. So I'm figuring that. So for example, if I was to say, Lose Yourself by Eminem, you would say- Eight Mile. Exactly. So- Okay, let's do it. Are you ready? We've got two rounds of this. Okay. And then I've got a Carsters Countdown. We've got two Carsters Countdowns for you. Case of George. Are you ready? I'm ready. George, you have to guess the film from the song. Ready? Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Uh, Rocky Four. Yes. Gimme Shelter by Rolling Stones. Uh, either Mean Streets or The Departed. Yes. Kiss from a Rose by Seal. That is Batman Forever. <laughs> yes. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. The Bodyguard. Yes. Unchained Melody by The Righteous Brothers. Uh, that is Ghost. Yes. Make My Dreams Come True by Hall & Oates. That is either Zoolander or uh, 500 Days of Summer. Yes. Pure Shores by All Saints. The Beach. Yes. See You Again by Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa. Uh, Fast, uh, Furious 7. Yes. Last one, Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger. That is Risky Business. Yes. 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 I was going to say Top Gun, but that is Great Balls of Fire, isn't it? Yes. Very good. Okay. You did well. All right. Thank you. Good fun, right? Not too bad. You got like, like, uh, kiss, kiss from, from a rose. That was, I mean, but that just yeah. is Batman. You don't. That song doesn't Can live you just outside. Uh, for a second, the idea of that song now being in a Batman <laughs> so movie. Cheesy. Never. Can you imagine like Robert Pattinson rolls credits? <laughs> it's like having Guy Ritchie. Great. It just shows Gets you how your head, far that one. Batman has. Oh, it's yeah. It's like a. Baby, I can tell you to a kiss from a rose. Great, like, yeah, it's great um, road trip one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The whole, Did you see the film The Vacation with Ed Helms? No. That film it, I, with Christina Applegate as well. I really, really found it funny in 2015 when I watched yeah. it. But that film is a love letter to that song. Really? Being about the forever. And I thought it was so funny. But they play it like seven times oh, uh, in the movie. So you walk out of that film, you're just like, baby. Okay, are you ready? Round two. You have to guess the film from the song. Ready? Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Uh, Top Gun. Yes. Free Fall in Tom Petty. Uh, Jerry Maguire? Yes. <sighs> Mad World by Gary Jules. Uh, Donnie Darko. Yes. Jump by Van Halen. Ready Player One? Yes. Ah. Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Elton John. Uh, the, the Lion King. Yes. 
Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Uh, the Breakfast Club. Yes. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith. Armageddon. Yes. Last one. The Power of Love, Huey Lewis and the News. That's uh, the Back to the Future, yes. right? Yes. Full Because I get confused with that Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Power of Love as well. There's two. Yes. So thank you. Full Power marks. of love. Thank you. Thank you. Very, much. very well done. Did you get them all? at home. You could do more. Oh, yeah, you could do more. I'll, I'll write more. I'll write another round for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. Right. As always, we like to end with a little cast list countdown. Okay. As you guys, if you guys don't know how to play, I am going to read the members of the cast of the film in sort of least important order, most important order. George has to try and guess the film that I'm talking about before I get to the end of the cast for reasons. Ready, George, to do the first. I, uh, I don't know if you've seen this film, Okay. but I don't think we've discussed it. That's fine. I like it. But we'll go for it anyway. Do it. Ready? George, you have to guess the film based on its cast. Ready? Rooney Mara. Okay. Eric Knudsen. Fred Willard. Okay. Steve Buscemi. Uh, Ray Liotta. Uh, with Rooney Mara. Gene Smart. Um, Zach Galifianakis. Uh, uh, Justin Long. Is Portia Doubleday. Uh, Adhir Kalyan. Is this last one? The Youth and Revolt. Yes. yes. Michael Cera. Right. Yes. I know that because Portia Doubleday, I only either know for that or Mr. Robot. She's not in that much stuff. Yeah, but, but Rooney yeah. Mara is in that. Uh, she's in the cast. Wow. And I know, I remember because Ray Liotta and Steve Buscemi yes. are doing classic, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. indie supporting roles. Ray Liotta role. He's a cop in it, isn't he? Yeah, and he's, like, sleeping with his mom or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <gasps> remember seeing Youth and Revolt and actually really enjoying yeah, me it too. at the time. It's, it's sort of, like, indie film of its era. Yeah. But I remember seeing Michael Cera in it and being like, wow, like Michael Cera is so much more than the friend from Superbad. He's actually... Yeah. Really, really Because he plays talented. two roles in that. He's playing two roles yeah. and it's really sort of strange and funny. Yeah, when he has um, the alter ego, basically. Yeah, he plays, he plays. He just, it's like funny how he just like completely- uh, It's like a fight club thing, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really well done. Huh. That was Youth and Revolt. Just a film I don't think we've mentioned, doesn't, no, get, talk, no, doesn't get talked I, about that much. You know, this is how I love how film connects to memory. I've You've just made me think of that film, which I have not thought about in years. Yeah. I watched that hungover in February, 2011, wow. uh, maybe 2012 in my kitchen. Yeah. Not even in a sofa, yeah. just sort of like in a hard space. Yeah. Watch the whole thing. I went to go see that with two friends in the cinema. And we I remember it was like our local cinema had really bad timings. Mm. So instead, the only place that had a good time for us to see it was in Leicester Square. And the ticket was like double the price and it was a nightmare to get to. It was the middle of the summer and we were just like, we're never doing that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why would we do that? But like the film was actually um, enjoyable. Okay, George, are you ready? There's another one. Yeah, there's one more. There's one more. There's one Great. More. Ready? Again. Is this again another film we haven't talked about? Or? We will not have talked about this film. Okay. But uh, again, I don't know if you've seen it, but for kind of completely different reasons. Okay. Ready? George, you have to guess the film based on its cast. Ready? Paul Rudd. Okay. Steve Coogan. Okay. Rami Malek. Kim Raver. Bill Cobbs. Patrick Gallagher. Carla Gugino. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Robin Williams. Stacked. Oh, hang on. Dick Van Dyke. Is this last one? Night at the Museum. Yes. Ben the, any, any of them? One. Night at the Museum. One. one. 
Wow, I didn't yeah. realize that had. I mean, I, I didn't know all of those names. So, so I, the ones you wouldn't have got were the other old guys with Dick Van Dyke. Right, you know, okay. there's like three. You've seen it, yeah? No. Oh, there's I've never like, seen it. Oh, uh, Dick Van Dyke is. Go on, try and tell me about this film that I haven't seen and you haven't clearly haven't watched in years. Dick Van Dyke is like the old museum guard that Ben Stiller takes over. Oh, right. And they, like, from magic within the museum, are able to live forever. Oh, I see. And so he's old, but, like, he's, like, thousands of years old. Oh. And then, like, he has to t- take them over at the end. Oh, okay. But there's, like, three of them. There's Dick Van Dyke, Bill Cobbs, and... Okay. One of the others. Right, okay. And then, like, the second one has got, like, Ed Helms and... Um, Frank Azar- Hank Azaria mm. and like loads of other people. And I was like, it's actually a pretty stacked cast. What's the third one? I have not seen the third one. Was that, that three? I think the third one's in London, isn't it? Is it? With Rebel Wilson. Wilson, yes. She's in, no, she's Aussie. She's Aussie, but she plays an English person. Right, yeah. In that kind of way. <laughs> Americans where are the same. Well, no, well, no, she's Australian. So, but, no, 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 but they're Americans. Know. Oh, yeah, but, they are, but also, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm, in, sorry, I'm doing an English voice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hello. Oh, yeah. Mm. this mm. anyway guys thank you so much yes. hope you enjoyed the games <laughs> don't forget we post new episodes of the show every single, single Wednesday. Wednesday and as you know guys we have bonus content going out throughout the week keep your eyes peeled for our feeds we've got James's review of Asteroid City coming out yeah. and Secret Invasion and uh, let's not forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and like and subscribe and give us your support and share and thanks and comments and it, it really does help us grow and the more we grow the better things we can do sorry it's like this show. week George was on holiday and yeah we're busy people so i'm sorry it's a belated episode but thank you for sticking with us we really appreciate it guys thank you so much we will see you next week for mission impossible dead reckoning part one bum, bum, bum. God, I put all that in a title <laughs> that and maybe elemental oh it's hard work it. doing a podcast james <laughs> yes. do you think we do mi colon we'll or do you think see. we need to put mission impossible well, you guys will probably know by by, by soon <laughs> see you next week bye guys again James <laughs> cut this <laughs> okay <clears throat> <laughs>